Let's, let's remain standing for the preaching of God's Word and the reading of the Scripture text. We're returning this Sunday to the Sermon on the Mount, a series that we began just a few weeks ago. This morning I'm going to be preaching from the third Beatitude, Matthew 5, 5. But we want to continue to read each of these Beatitudes as we continue to move through this incredible sermon of our Savior Jesus. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> Father in heaven, as we come to this part of our service, we just want to give you praise. Praise for the body of Christ, where we have the privilege as your people to lift our voices, to use the gifts you've given us, to delight in what it means to belong to the living God. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, our helper, we desperately need you, not only to open our eyes and our ears, but to enable us to be sanctified by your very word, by this truth. So, Lord, as we look today, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would change all of us, that some who do not know you would come to faith, and today those who do know you would be encouraged by what we've even been singing, that we are gaining ground because you who started this will bring it to completion, even in our individual lives. So God bless us in this time, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if the name Malchus means anything to you. It's possible since Holy Week was not that many days ago that you will remember Malchus. Malchus was the servant of the high priest whose ear Peter cut off. Malchus, John's gospel tells us that. Each of the gospel accounts tell us the story of who we know as Peter taking out his sword and striking the ear of the high priest's servant and cutting it off. Some think he just missed, that he was going for more than the ear. That's only speculation. We don't know. But we know that Judas, who was a disciple of Christ, had done what Christ said he would do, and he had gone and he had gathered a group of high priests, of religious leaders, who were then going to come and arrest Jesus. 
If you have a Bible with you, if not, you can grab the one that's in front of you in the Pew Bible. I want you to turn to John. I want you to go to John 18. And I want to read a portion of each of these accounts near the end of the gospel that have to do with Malchus and with Peter. First of all, from John's gospel, beginning at verse 4, here's how it unfolds. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, remember that. He's God. He knows all that's about to take place. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? Now remember, they're there with lanterns. They're there with clubs, with weapons. Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Now listen to what happens next. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, verse 6, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Picture that scene. That's power. When Jesus simply said, I am he, every one of them drew back and fell to the ground. So verse 7, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Now, why would Peter do that? Because that's what the natural man told him to do. You are coming to arrest my best friend, my Messiah. You are coming to take the very one whose words hold eternal life, his natural fleshly response was to be violent. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now Luke's account tells this story beginning in verse 47 of Luke 22. Listen as I read. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, we know it's Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, we know his name's Malchus, and cut off his right ear. Now Luke is a physician. He's the only one that records what Jesus does. Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. We move past that so quickly. I mean, don't move past things like this so quickly. Imagine the pain of that sword striking you in the head and taking off your ear. Imagine his scream. Imagine the blood. Imagine the fear of what might happen to me now. Will I bleed to death? We move past it so quickly. Vividly look, see. And then Jesus, the great physician, who has all the power of God because he's God, simply touches his ear and it's healed. Imagine what he heard before the ear was healed inside his head. The pain, the agony, 
And imagine you're there seeing an ear on the ground at lantern light, and Jesus simply touches and it's healed. Still didn't stop him, though, did it? It didn't stop him because Christ was in control. Jesus said no more of this. Mark's account, which we spent a lot of time in Mark not long ago, was, is crisp. So let's go to Matthew's account. Let's go to the Gospel of Matthew where we're in studying the Sermon on the Mount. And look with me at verse 48 of Matthew 26. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and he said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, Peter, stretched out his hand. He drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus spoke. They drew back and dropped to the ground. In each account, Peter takes off the ear of Malchus. In Matthew, the gospel we're in, Jesus speaks to them and said, could I not appeal to my father? And 12 legions of angels would appear to defend me, to support me? Well, what is a legion? A legion is a military term used in the military of Rome, and it meant a minimum of 6,000 soldiers. So Jesus is saying 72,000 angels at least could come at my request from the Father to defend me. I don't need your sword. But how powerful is an angel? Well, the number gets bigger because Isaiah tells us that one angel alone was able to destroy 185,000 men. So let's just do some math. 72,000 times 180,000. And now some of you love this. You're like, I'm going to make sure this is accurate. Well, let me just say this. It ends with, 13 billion, 320 million angels. There's so much power in God. But Jesus is the incarnation of meekness. When Jesus sat on that hillside, as his disciples gathered around, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He meant it. At the end of his earthly life, as he's encountering the greatest injustice ever known to man, he is meek. He is the picture of meekness. And when he preached this message, to his disciples who had gathered, and he opened his mouth and taught them and said, blessed are the meek, he meant it. 
If you're new to our church or new to this series, one thing that is really important for us to note is that these beatitudes are not accessories to the Christian life. These are not things that you pick and choose that you would add to yourself if you like them or not, or if you naturally are predisposed to one or the other. These are the characteristics that are to be true of those who would say, I am a follower of Jesus. And my attempt over these weeks has been and will be to look at these words, to look at these Beatitudes and ask the question, what do they mean? What is meekness and what is it not? And then how do we become what Christ is saying should be who we are? And then spending time also looking at the blessing which is given here. But as I do this, remember, if you profess Christ, these are to be the reality of your life. Not just for some luxury version Christians or really devoted believers. These are to be true of all who claim Christ. And every one of them are beautiful. Meekness, what is it? And what is it not? I want to begin with what it's not. And I want to say this first. If you don't struggle with some of the things I say this morning about meekness, which, by the way, are going to be down the fairway of Scripture, you don't really get meekness. Meekness is not something that we, as a culture, really honor or validate. Even in the church, I have never once seen a job description put forth by a search committee that included the word meekness and the call of a pastor. Not once. Nobody said we're looking for somebody who's meek. Why is that? Because we associate it with weakness, and it's not weakness at all. It's actually the opposite. So when you hear these words, there must be a part of you that's like, that is not the way the world works. And you know what? You're right. And Jesus doesn't care. He is bringing a shockingly different message to the world, then and now, past and present and future. So I promise, because I've been in this for several weeks, meekness is not something that when you are treated unfairly, unjustly, you're going to say, I'll be meek. This is the right way. It is not your natural disposition. Your natural disposition is going to be to take out the sword and slice away. Not physically, but with words. And maybe not even to the person, but to another person, about the person. That's not meekness. Meekness is very hard. But what is it not? First, it is not lacking backbone. It is not being spineless. It is not a personality trait. They're meek because they're shy and quiet. Meekness is not passively sitting by and letting abuse take place. Meekness is not weak. It is the opposite of weakness. It is not a lack of assertiveness, but it is a lack of self-assertiveness. So meekness when a person possesses it, coming deep from within them 
is an incredible picture, a beautiful picture of power and strength. For example, in the Old Testament, who was the man known as the most meek person on earth? Does anybody know? Say it. Moses. Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. We don't tend to think of Moses as being a meek man when we think of all he did, but listen to this account. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. That's part of the church, isn't it? Throughout its history, throughout the people of God have spoken against their leaders all the way to the point where they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. It's part of the fallen condition. Miriam and Aaron, so close to Moses, began speaking against him because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has not he spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. What a compliment. What that tells us is, because Moses is not perfect, he's not divine, we can become people who are known for being meek. If you want to be known for being meek, you're not meek. You're still thinking about how can I receive glory for other people saying he's meek. But was Moses always meek? Do you remember the story where he sees an Egyptian in conflict with an Israelite? And what does he do? He kills the man and he buries him in the sand. But others saw it happen. And when they see it happen, what takes place? He is afraid. Where does he go? Before Moses was the shepherd of the people of Israel. He spent 40 years being the shepherd of sheep. 40 years after that event, he goes into the wilderness. God's making him. He's making him into the meek man, the strong man, the powerful man who is going to stand before the most powerful human being on the earth at that time. And he's going to stand before him in meekness, speaking truth. So meekness is not spinelessness. It's not a lack of backbone. It's not weak. It's not a personality that would be defined as being shy. So what is it? I'm going to give you a series of descriptions from some of the greatest things I've read over the past few weeks. Buried in these are adjectives, descriptors that define meekness. Listen to this one. Meekness is an active and deliberate acceptance. An active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. An active and deliberate acceptance. Shall I not drink the cup? Active 
ongoing, deliberate, intentional acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture, a larger story. Sinclair Ferguson says, meekness is strength in the man who has learned to submit to difficulties, experiences, and people, knowing that everything God is working is for his good. It is a submission to the Lord and a gentleness with sinners like us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite commentaries, says this. Meekness is a true view of oneself, expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to one another. Meekness is a true view of oneself. So what is the true view of who we are? As followers of Christ, we're poor in spirit. When the Spirit of God reveals that to us, when we see ourselves as we truly are sinners, we mourn our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Meekness is a true view of oneself expressing itself in attitude and conduct with respect to one another. It is therefore two things. It is my attitude toward myself and it is an expression of that in my relationship to others, period. Sinclair Ferguson says this, there is probably no more beautiful quality in a Christian than meekness. It enhances manliness, it adorns femininity. In the world we live in today, Francis Schaeffer, speaking back in the 70s, would call this a shining opportunity. When so much conflict exists around us in the culture, think of the last two years. Think of how many times you have heard something that made you want to draw your sword and not slice off the ear, maybe cut out the tongue, maybe take off the head, metaphorically. If meekness is one of the most beautiful characteristics, most beautiful quality of a Christian, then what is the absence of meekness? What does the absence of meekness do when an individual, whether a political leader, a religious leader, a small group leader, a preacher, a mom, a dad, a coach, what does a lack of meekness do when those who proclaim Christ don't show it? The earth is scorched. Immediately, we begin to think, well, we can't compromise truth. Amen. 
And we can't proclaim truth without being meek. Amen. Because that's what Jesus said, and he meant it. And that's what Jesus practiced when the most awful things that could ever be said about a human were being said about him. Lies, insults. And what did he do? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They spit on his face. They cursed him. They beat him with their fists. They beat him with sticks. They beat him with the cat of nine tails. That was the cup he was called to drink. And the church and the world is desperate for a people who claim Christ, who is the incarnation of meekness, to live like Christ. And we can. And the reason we can is because all who are in Christ, and you heard it and said it just a minute ago, we have been crucified with Christ. And we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. He's the one who said, it is better to his disciples that I leave so that the helper will come. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. Do you think the Holy Spirit cares about truth? More than you, more than me, perfectly. Do you think he cares about the character of believers and how they represent themselves everywhere? Yes, more than you, more than me. And more than that gives us the power to be the people God's called us to be. Meekness is hard, isn't it? Spending three or four weeks coming up to this, meditating on these passages, you know it's hard when you know the Lord's called you to preach something like meekness or humility because you know the test will come from God and attacks from the enemy that make you want to not be what? Meek, not godly, not Christ-like. And I'm sure if there was a videotape of my life, not over the last three weeks, but the last 55 years, you would see time and time and time again where I pulled out the sword. Time and time and time again where you couldn't see me pull out the sword unless you could only see what was going on in my mind. And that is not honor Christ. It's not what Christ would want. We stand for truth. We stand in Christ for truth and meekness. Meekness is his way. So this is what it comes down to. When we are unwilling to show meekness... Let's call it what it is. It's actually a lack of trust. It's a lack of trust in what God himself, Christ Jesus, said. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I told you already, that is not the world's response. That is not the natural man or the natural woman's response. You agree? It is not our response. Our response is to do the opposite of that. And so when we turn and do the opposite of that, what we are saying is in this moment, pulling the sword is better. Peter said that, and then he did it. We don't trust the Lord. We don't trust that the Lord's shocking message still is the shocking message that the world needs to hear as we proclaim truth. We have to trust him. 
We have to trust them with our lives. We have to trust them with our friends, trust them with our family members. We have to trust that what he said is true. He's gonna say it again at the end of these Beatitudes. Blessed are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He goes on to say, rejoice and be glad for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Is that the message that the world lives? No. Is that the message that the church lives though? That's where the Holy Spirit needs to do work. Do you want to be meek? If in Christ, the answer has to be yes. Is it hard to be meek? It's so hard to be meek. So how then do we become what Christ is saying? Simply, and I literally mean simply, so hard to do, but the directions are clear. Simply ask for it. You will never desire it in your own self, nor will you ever have the ability to, main, to have it or maintain it. So do what beggars do. Ask God to give you meekness. Again, meekness is not an accessory. I think a lot of people today treat Christian bookstores including ours, like a store of accessories. I'll buy this book and read it and quote it if it's worth quoting. And if it's a dead author, it all sounds smarter. So I'll read that one, quote that one. And it's like, okay, there's a great book on meekness right now called Gentle and Lowly. It's fantastic. Reading the book doesn't make you meek. Quoting the book doesn't make you meek. The only one who can make you meek is the living God. He might use the means of a book, a sermon, a podcast. But meekness is not just a characteristic that we throw on the outside to accessorize our spiritual garments. Ask for it. Secondly, remember that you must abide in Christ. The fruitfulness that he describes, meekness as a fruit, cannot come apart from Christ. So that image of yoking yourself to Jesus is critical. They would yoke a more mature animal to a less mature animal to show the less mature animal how to walk, how to follow the guide's instructions. Yoke yourself to Jesus, but know as you do, he's the one who said these shocking things. Beginning with the word, happy, blessed are the meek. Ask for it. Yoke yourself to Christ. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, examine every conversation every day. And now I want to challenge you to do something. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit, only with the Holy Spirit. If you really want to be a meek woman or a meek man, ask the Holy Spirit where any time in the last two years, or the last two months, or the last two days? Is there anywhere I failed to show meekness? I promise there is. And if it's possible, what I mean by that is it's not somebody you failed to show meekness to on the North Dallas Toll Road, but someone in your house, someone in your place of work, someone in your church, 
If you really want to be serious about meekness, go to the individual. Confess your sin. Say you're sorry. And if they don't respond in a godly way, take out your, no. (laughs) I just want to make sure you're with me. If they don't respond in a godly way, repeat. God, give me meekness. I'm yoked to you. You're alive in me. Don't let me compromise the truth, either in what it says about what we are to believe or what it says in how we are to live. And repeat. Everything inside you and possibly even around you, even in the church, will be full of advice and counsel that says, do it differently. And that's where we have to ask the question, do we really trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about? And do we really believe when he ended his sermon by saying, there are those who hear and obey and those who hear and don't obey. One builds a house on a sandy foundation and it falls. And one builds the house on the rock. And Christ, the incarnation of meekness is the rock. How strong is that rock? So strong that when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. When he returns, all will fall to their knees and proclaim who he is. If you're in Christ, you will be perfectly secure. If you're not and you want to be, as I close this in prayer, simply pray to Jesus. Save me. Forgive me. Rescue me. And then come tell me or one of the other pastors or somebody that you came with that you know trusts the Lord. Father in heaven, we're so gracious um, when we live in you and your power flows through us. But apart from you, Lord, that is not our typical response. We need you badly, and you are so glad to give us what we need. Lord, as we close, if there's anyone who has not yet professed faith in Jesus who are listening online or here, may this be the day they would come to saving faith. Show them what they need. They need you. Friends, simply pray, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and you are the one. Forgive me. I rest in you alone for my salvation. For all who are in Christ already and know it, remember the song that we sang earlier this morning. We're gaining ground. Part of this ground that's being gained is when we live out in truth our union with Christ and who he called us to be. So as we sing a very unfamiliar hymn, 
to a very familiar tune. Lord, would you cause these words to stick deeply in our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.